Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Shiny Side Up podcast dedicated to IP racing around Australia. This episode was recorded on 30 September 2019. In this episode, another tech talk. We discuss the gearbox rule in IP and some of the options available out there for IP races. In this segment, we are again joined by Ashley Barnett from Western Australia. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks again for listening. Check out the Shiny Side Up Facebook page for updates and subscribe for future episodes. We hope you enjoy the show. And apologies for the poor sound quality. We're working on it, but hope it doesn't uh, detract too much from your listening experience. Thanks again. Okay, so moving on, uh, our next segment is the Tech Talk segment. And this week, I thought we'd speak about gearboxes. Um, to the point, Ash, that uh, uh, you were making issues with the VN and the yeah, Sony swap and your issues with the Sylvia. I think... I think um, gearboxes are something you probably know a little bit about in terms of IP and their importance. We'll start start out though by talking about the the current rule set for IP gearboxes. So Mick, um, I know you're pretty pretty familiar with the rules uh, as far as IP gearboxes go. Can you can you run us through them again, please? So we're allowed a maximum of six forward gears in any of the ca- any of the subclasses now. And doesn't matter if it came with six speed or not, and it has to remain an H pattern gearbox. It needs to be manual, which is determined by whether or not it has a torque converter or not, or, or direct applied clutch, which means that there is scope to run a DSG style gearbox if it was sold as original with the car which is very good for the future of the category, I think. It's a good thing. Yep. Yeah, I think it's a very good thing. Not To start with, I thought was I don't want IP just to be a, a dying ground for production cars that run a DSG, but I actually do think that the larger capacity cars can use the DSG very effectively. The smaller capacity cars, unless they're turbocharged with the restrictor and the narrow power band that they have, well, usable power band they have, then the DSG might work. But, you know, any of the race-built style engines that are high revving, then, you know, you're going to need to switch to a close ratio dog H-pattern box, six-speed preferably, to make the most of the power on the track. But for those who just want to build more of an OEM-style car, like we've seen go very well with the the big AMG 63, or maybe an M, a later model M3 or something, that when they become more available as repairable write-offs or whatever for yeah, people to I, build cars I, in, I, I think that's a great idea. I was lucky enough to drive it. I've done a couple of Bathurst six hours, and um, it was in a 335i with a DSG box. And what a great car. I mean, I, I can't see why I shouldn't be able to run that. Uh, and that car now can run or has run in IP over here. Oh, so great. Good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I like, it. I like my old technology stuff as well, but we do need to look into the future about what we can do. So we use late model twin cam aluminium blocked engines in Datsun 1600s, you know, hmm. so let's apply that to more modern cars and why shouldn't it be able to use something that was sold IP uh, from OEM in IP that is obviously better than what you could usually get that's right. Aftermarket. That's Interesting. Right. Uh, probably also worthwhile, Mick, um, because the rules have recently changed, and there'll be a lot of cars out there on the market that have been built to 
you know, the rules as they were three, four, five, ten years ago. So can you talk us through the changes that happened a couple of years ago in terms of the gearbox rule? So early model were stuck at five speed maximum and which is pre eighty six cars and then eighty six and above cars uh, were only allowed to have a six speed gearbox if they were sold from the manufacturer. So there was a massive the rules were kind of saying make sure you select the right car if you want to have all the good bits. So certain models were more desirable than others, which isn't right because the I think the culture of improved production is to be able to make any car as fast as what some of the better models are. I think it becomes cheaper, to be honest with you, when you buy a proper gearbox to start with. Maybe not yeah. cheaper. I, mean, I don't think there's much in it, to be honest with you. Well, with that, with the Mazda, I can tell you straight away, with, with the high-revving Bridgeport 13B in the first-generation RX-7s, it's two seconds a lap at both Wakefield Park and City Motorsport Park between a road synchro gearbox and their PPG close-ratio dog box. Just from being out. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to drive the car. Like, it would just... Knowing where it could be, maybe if I only had a synchro box to start with and that's what I started driving the car with and I didn't know how much better the dog box was, but I basically parked the car till I could afford a dog box. I, dog I boxes make like it feel like a real race car, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. magical. Yeah. yeah. So, which brings me to, I guess, the experiences with the different types of gearboxes. Mick, you've just outlined what it was like in the RX-7 and... and and Ash, you've had, I guess, experiences with less than ideal gearboxes in both the Sylvia and the Commodore. Do you want to walk us through how you found the gearbox rule in practice in the past? Yeah, so the, the Commodore had a TK600 and um, yeah, it wasn't ideal. It, just, it was hard to shift, basically. And it had to come out be freshened up because I, I think we damaged it from trying to shift. I think something was wrong to begin with to start with, to start with, be honest with you. And we did some damage. It had to come out and be fixed. That's why we put the Samsonus in. The Sylvia ended up with an RB25 gearbox in it, synchro, purely to handle the, the torque of the restricted turbo car. So the standard, I didn't think the standard SR box would take it. Then it ended up with a, a PAR dog set in it. And it was the, we were the first to have a, a PAR dog set in an RB25 box. Um, wasn't, uh, we had some issues with the box, to be honest with you. The, I should have just bought a, um, I'm not sure why, but we should have just bought a, um, a motorsport box to start with, but I, I didn't have the 20 grand to buy one, so I went the gear set route. Yeah. I think gear sets in a, in a road car housing are a compromise, if I'm honest. I think that the housings are, can be a weak point as well. Uh, I think if you're going to put a dog box in, I'm sorry, but you can't always afford it, but you've got to buy the bullet and buy a, a, a proper built motorsport box. I think that's the right way to go. Um, having said that, I've had success with gear sets in road car boxes. The FD had a PPG dog set in a Series 6 housing. Um, we had a PAR gear set, like I said, in the Sylvia. Um, driven sequential Hollinger. And they've got a PPG gear set in the, the Honda as well. That's a 6 speed That works well. Yeah, but real race cars, they feel much better when they've got dog boxes in them. But I think that long term, I think you're better off with a, a motorsport box, especially if you're chasing... A lot of torque, a lot of power. So I think you just, you'll break too many road car gearboxes. And over time, um, it's not just the cost of the box, it's wear and tear and everything else. While well, you're not racing because you're fixing gearboxes, you've worn everything out as well. So hence why with the Mustang, 
I was going to keep the TKO that was in there, and I thought, nah, I've just got to put a Hollinger in. And if it takes longer to build the car, well, so be it. We'll put a Hollinger in there. Yeah. I can, I can add to the standard case thing. So the PPG Mazda box has been well-developed. The Modna gear set for the Mazda box is well-developed because there were so many RX3s and RX7s and RX4s running on the East Coast that there was a lot of development time, but a lot of the gear sets haven't had that development time, right, to get it right. So even though the gear set's very good, I've split three centre cases with the RX-7 PPG. Yeah. So I've strengthened, well, it was my dad's idea, and he made it for me. It was a strength and brace underneath the massive gaping hole that's under the, the, <laughs> the main gear set where you can remove that plate. It's, a, it's an extremely weak spot when you look at it. So we can add more oil to the box with the 20 mil strengthening billet sort of plate on the sandwich plate, and then that is hasn't shown any any signs of weakness around there, and I've had no issues since doing that. Touch wood, please don't have another gearbox issue. <laughs> did you did you damage the gears when it split the housing, or was it just the gear, just the housing? Uh, yeah, because the it, what's trying to happen is because of that big gaping hole. There's only around six to eight mil of cast aluminium underneath the lay shaft, so it's trying to push it apart. Yeah, trying to push time. it apart. So yeah. what did it cost every time you had to rebuild it? Uh, well, I've got one gearbox, because you can't buy parts, so one sitting there, if I ever find another one that doesn't have my broken bits in it, so I can make another one out of two, and I had to find another one. I was very lucky that uh, HP Motorsport, Brett Hodder in New South Wales, had one, and he wanted to go to to Hollinger, so I helped him get there by purchasing his box. Yeah, okay. And I think, Mick, you just raised a really interesting point too, and, and I think, again, another another factor in favour of what you say, Ash, about motorsport gearboxes, and that is, like, the, the, the support aftermarket. Like, you know, if it's a modern or if it's a PPG or if it's a PAR or if it's an Albans gear set or something else, you know, getting replacement parts either very difficult with a long, long wait time or impossible. And, you know, that's, I think, um, you know, and it's all very well, let's say, if you buy, if you went to PP and bought a gear set that right now today is popular because, you know, 15 years ago the RX-7 IP gear set in a five-speed box was popular, wasn't it? And that's why they were yes. making them. Now yeah. they're not. So, you know, we bought three of them one year, though, gears. in the Mazda. If you put a Hollinger, it would have been cheaper, sort of saying. By the end, yes, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, Sorry, and I get that, but a lot of people don't have the 20K exactly. job on it, like you said, yeah, exactly. and the tantalising lure to just get to the next race meeting means you put up with terrible gearboxes. <laughs> I've yeah. done it myself, so yeah. you just it's very hard to tell yourself to wait right. and save. I guess that's why the Samson is a yeah. good thing. It's, is everyone's waiting to see how good it's going to be. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and, and just so again, uh, for listeners who aren't aware, um, Samsonis Australia are importing a, fit, like a made-for-purpose H-pattern dog box um, in five or six-speed. And, of course, no, no one else is going to buy a five-speed. But the six-speed gearbox has also the option of, I think it was seven, or it might be more than that. It might be like 13 drop gears. Um, to to um, change the final drive ratio of the output shaft for the box. And, and uh, there were, from memory, I think seven or eight different 
ratio option. So, you know, it's it's a very attractive option at a price point that's significantly cheaper than a Hollinger. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's between more expensive than a Hollinger, pretty much. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the Samsonis page pattern, at least from what I've seen, is it seems to be based on the, it appears, and again, there'll be people out there, and Mick, you may have views on this that are more educated than mine, but it looks like they've taken their BMW ZF six-speed gear set, and they've strengthened it, and they've built a billet housing around it, and added a drop gear. And so it's something that could, you know, in theory... Why wouldn't you do that? It's no different to Quaife doing that with their custom case Type 9, you know, after making so many Sierra boxes for so many years, gear sets. They've pretty much made a whole outside around it. But, but of course, until now, you know, there's, you see the odd, I'll call it fringe, uh, H-pattern gearbox floating around. You see the odd old Quaife box. There are the old um, science box. Yep. Science, um, you know, you see, you see a few of them around still. But it's mostly, you know, for the Aussies, it's mostly Hollingers or, well, the or, most, or something the best, to that ilk. The best H-pattern gearbox we can get is available and it's been around for a long time. The problem is it's only got four speeds and that's the NASCAR box. So if, so like you look at, you're looking at classes that are stuck with H-pattern and they're all four speeds now. So the Super T10 based mm. gearboxes and you know, the NASCAR box, four-speed as well. They've got roller-bearing gears in them and everything, you know, with nearly zero friction through the main shaft, which would be perfect for us, but it's only it's only good in a lightweight, maybe early model V8 that can handle four gears yeah. quite well. Yeah, like a TCM car. Yeah, but even so, like a VK or something, you know, done to IP rules, early model, big LS in front of it with a... Super T10 or a NASCAR style gearbox on the back, you might be able to use four speed, but apart from that, it's hard to tell yourself four's enough. <laughs> <laughs> and there are at least one or two VKs or early model Commodores down in Victoria still running four speed dog boxes, as you know, to your point, Nick. So, and, yep. and not only that, but I think there's still, there are one or two American dog boxes, um, uh, aside from that floating around Australia. For example, I know, um, Kurt McCready's Sylvia has a five-speed Jericho, I think, in it. Um, so, right. um, and there's G-Force box that, that you can buy, but they don't make six-speeds, I don't think. Um, although, again, I'll probably be proven wrong on that. But, but I mean, again, you know, now that we need a six-speed H-pattern dog box, the options seem to be, uh, to, to my knowledge at least, uh, Hollinger or Samsonis, and those, those are your two motorsport options uh, um, in Australia. So, so are you counting yeah, six-speed as only now, that fives are just not going to be good enough? I think it wouldn't matter. I think five would be all right with a, a grunty V8. I think also the other way, if you don't have enough yeah. horsepower to push through the aerodynamic barrier, then going to six-speed means you've either got a useless first gear or you're running through your power band too quickly in, in the gears. So rotary, I'm going to say six would be better, but... You know, even even at under two liter Honda, are they that much faster with a six speed, or is it just because there's more boxes available to them now? OEM with the Integra box is why the six speed rule is so good for them. But I don't think they actually need six gears like the big V8s can use it because they're pushing another twenty to forty kph down the straight to use the extra gear. 
But, I mean, Mick, Mick, if you don't have the torque go and you've got a narrow power band and you need to keep the engine there, I mean, I would have thought that that, that, that sixth gear is always going to be happy, you know. It's going to be good, better to get it off the line. Um, it's going to give you, you know, a, a couple, you know, just a little bit more flexibility and ratios coming off that corner that you just can't get the gear right, you know. I mean, um, I remember racing a five-speed in the MX-5 and it drove me insane. When, as soon as I went to the six-speed, I had that, Extra little bit of flexibility. I could run. Um, but was that because there were more ratios gearing. available through the the corners, so you didn't have to change mid corner because you had a more of a selection? Is that why you liked it better? I think I think that was a part of it. I mean, we were still changing final drive um, to suit the track, and uh, yeah, to, to that point, I think it reached a point where you know, it, certainly at the shorter tracks, first gear really wasn't. Particularly useful, um, uh, even in getting off the line. Sometimes it was a bit of a, uh, a bit of a liability, actually. Uh, but getting back to the question of five speeds, I think there's still a place for them. And, and I think you pointed out before me that even even for you know the early model turbo cars, where you know you you don't want to be changing gears, no. um, especially if you don't if you've got a synchro box, that five might be better than six because you, know, you can use the torque. That the, that the engine delivers to, 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 to keep momentum and you don't want to be pushing the clutch down or, you know, lifting the throttle and, and losing your boost. So, you know, there's, there's probably some circumstances where a five speed would be at least as good. But, but then if you go to buy a new box, um, today, you'd still, I think, be crazy not to buy a six speed because even if you only used five so in speeds, the well, let's take let's take the Hollinger then. The Hollinger's got the amazing. They even call it the the HF, is it or the Z, which is like they developed for the escorts, the rally escorts that that a lot of people use behind the RX-7. So they're much lighter gearbox. They've got light gears that can spin. There's no six-speed option in a lightweight, low inertia. I think they call it style design. So. Would going to a six-speed that is built to handle enough torque of a big V8 be good to try and spin behind a low-torque, under-two-litre, rear-wheel drive Escort or a Mazda RX-7? That's the point I'm trying to make. Is If they're not available, is it actually any better? Like you know what I mean? Like the, 10 kilos, spin, especially. Or... And the, the, the turning moment of inertia that takes the spin up those big, heavy gearboxes kills it. Well, it doesn't kill it, but, you know, it really does hurt. The rotary. I've I've put a standard light and flywheel behind mine rather than the super lightweight unobtainium built one from the states, and it's it's terrible to drive. I hate it. <laughs> it just kills yeah. it, you know. So I, I don't know. I just I think there's a a misconception that because we can go to six, that you just have to straight away. Like there's no point having a five now. I don't think is the right way to think of it. Yeah. Well, I was going to put a five in mine, then, then they changed the rules, so I went and bought a six. Well, I actually had a six. Got, I was going to get a gear removed, yeah. but now I don't have to have the gear removed. It ended up becoming cheaper for me. Right. Yeah, six-speed Hollinger, then have a gear removed out of it. I'm not sure whether it's going to have a tall first or a tall fifth, and, and they changed the rules and ended up being much cheaper, so it's got a standard supercar gearbox. Oh, nice. So in your case, it is better, <laughs> much better. My case is better, but I don't know if I'll go any faster because of it. Yeah. Um, I think think we're just as quick with the four speed because we'll have enough torque. But ease of wiring and ease of maintenance, ease of parts, and purely to factory build it was faster and easier. And protecting the future of your car too. So there's more yeah. than likely going to be 
bits made for that six-speed H-Baton X V8 Supercar gearbox for a lot longer than many other gearboxes. Yeah, it's an old one. It's a HS6. It's Glenn Seaton's AU box from his... Oh, well, it's got to go fast now. Then. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Name dropping. Yeah. Name dropping. Oh, it's just good, good history. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, so I got it, and I got it rebuilt, and Holland told us where it was from. It was interesting. Yeah, nice. This is funny. I, I actually um, spoke to Hollinger about uh, a box for my car a while ago now, and um, I was talking to them, and they were marvelling at the price of used Hollinger boxes and how they hold their value. It's quite extraordinary. I don't know what you pay for your box, Ash, but... Um, oh, the, I got it cheap. Yeah, the it was, second... It was expensive to rebuild it. It was more to rebuild it than right. was to, to buy it. Well, that's what they told me, is that, you know, the, you know, the, the number of broken second-hand Hollinger boxes they get to rebuild versus what, you know, it costs to buy a new one. Um, I've, they, they, they just said, why... I don't know, maybe this is them protecting their... Uh, their, their sales, they were just uh, amazed and, and said to me, look, you know, you'd, you'd have to be, you'd have to be crazy to buy a second-hand Hollinger. But I mean, I'm sorry, everyone out there who's got a second-hand Hollinger for sale. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would have done yeah. it. I would have bought a Samsonus if they were available, but they weren't. So I had to buy the Hollinger. It was the only six-speed one I could get. I was going to convert it to five. Then they changed the rules and said you can run six. I went okay, but it was over six thousand dollars to freshen it up. Yeah, wow, it's expensive. But that's that's the price of a good motorsport gearbox, and, and it should last you a few years, you would think, if uh, if it all uh, holds together. So. If the driver doesn't misshift it and balk a gear. <laughs> mm. No one to blame it, Miguel. Speaking, I guess, of of, of high-quality gearboxes, um, the recent... The recent proposal out of, I think it was South Australia, to um, to adopt sequential boxes for all cars got knocked on the head. Um, but interested to hear your thoughts on that on that proposal. I was I was at the New South Wales committee meeting when this one came up for debate. Um, I am unashamed to say that I was one of two people out of I think, or I might have even been the only one to vote for it in in New South Wales at the time. Uh, and I unashamedly say that I did so out of self interest because. I didn't have uh, a H-pattern, well, a dog box of any kind in my car at the time, but I understand why a lot of people in the room resisted it. Thoughts on, on sequential dog boxes in IP? Uh, would be interested to hear your thoughts. You go, Mick. All right, I've got, I've got this one. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll add something after. Yeah, that's fine. I'm sure you will. So I understand why there is the request for it, because most gearboxes around the world are built as sequentials only now. And to find H-pattern gearboxes is more of a specialised purchase. We're very lucky in Australia. We've got Hollinger around, and now it seems that we might have another option with the Samsonas. But we've got gear, gear sets as well. But I just, for me, it goes against the ability to make every car as good as another one culture that we've got. So it's going to, a sequential gearbox separate, in my mind, separates the haves and haves nots even more. Now, you could say that changing with a H pattern is just as fast if you're really good at it as a sequential. But what, two things that people aren't realizing, I don't think when they think of it, is sequential means you can have the ECU consistently change and drop the torque to the gearbox through engine management every time you pull that lever and you're going to get 100% gear changes you're going to be able to smack down through gears on the, in the braking zones much more 
it's going to change the dynamic of the car. You can, the other thing is, with a sequential, and you'll probably be able to talk more about this, Ash, is when you're coming off a corner, say coming on the straight at, East, at City Motorsport Park in the Mazda, we've got a second gear to third gear change through the corner. Now, you have to balance that car right, have your lift, have your shift, and even if you've got a flat shift module or program on your gearbox, you've still got to really make sure you're, you're thumping into the right gear. Wrong gear can blow the engine or just kill your, your lap time. With a sequential, all that's out the window. So I think by not allowing sequentials, one, we're protecting some of the core characters and the culture of the class, and two, we are trying to not let the haves get further away from the have-nots, as in when I say have-nots, someone who's using an OEM synchro box doesn't have as big a disadvantage in my mind with an H-pattern dog as they would with someone that has a sequential gearbox. That's my opinion of it, and technically I could draw pictures and go through and show car data and talk about it more, but I'm I'm hoping everyone understood my points clearly enough there. But I'm happy to take questions if anyone wants to grill me or say that I'm wrong about stuff there because I'm I'm pretty passionate about it and I really think IP has no home for sequential gearboxes in our culture and what IP stands for. Sorry, Mick, so you were talking, I mean, we've talked before about this, and I think the comment you made to me last time we spoke about it was IP's not sports and, and sequential yep. does belong for that reason, and and I get that, uh, I do, and I think my, my thoughts more to your earlier points around, you know, where gearbox, motorsport gearboxes are going and, and, and whether, you know, there, there is a future for H-pattern boxes. Right now there is, and, and, and I guess, you know, it remains a concern for people you know, out there who are building cars and thinking right now about you know, and, and Ash, you've won. You know, you've you've you're fortunate enough to bought it by you know to have a six-speed dog box. I know someone who bought a five-speed about three months before the rule changed and and has found themselves on the wrong end of that. And Chris and, Brown? and and you know, equally no, actually someone else. Yeah, uh, well. I mean, yeah, and, and it's, well, a lot of I mean, a lot of people. It, it depends how far you go back. I mean, well, the Ingrams when they uh, put those well, those all the fast in their R sevens. Yeah, yeah, the Ingrams, and when I said about Brett, who I bought his uh, PBG off him, and he bought the the Hollinger, and within two or three months, the six speed rule got approved. So he was a little bit what the, but we then spoke to him about it afterwards, and the turning moment. I don't think the six-speed in the RX-7 is going to be as big an advantage, everyone says, until they make a low inertia version. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I take your point, Nick. I think you're dead right. It, it's it's not, um, and as you mentioned it too, that the, the difference between the uh, synchro box and a, and, a, and a sequential dog box is, is massive, especially a well-set-up one, as you say, Mick, when you can use engine management uh, to... Auto blip the throttle and, and and just make it very very easy to drive the car. Um, I just wonder how long the, the category will hold off sequential. I, I yeah, have I this hope. My thought is it won't be forever. But I hope it holds out until every new car sold with DSGs in, and then we've all got mm. DSGs. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, maybe then, you know what I mean? And, we'll and, and the only H patterns are there for the 3JA cars that are now historic. <laughs> or maybe even 3JB is historic by then as well. Who knows? I and think... I think H pattern's good for our class, good to watch. It's, um, I believe it's more of a driver's gearbox. Yes. I, I, if I had the option to have a sequential now, I wouldn't. I'd stick with my H. I don't think there'd be much of a lap time difference. There would be one, but not massive. But purely the H patterns are challenging, and I want a car that's challenging. Um, although I think the spectators anything... don't really see it, but I think for me personally, I'd, I'd stick with my H. The lightweight cars won't suffer the H patterns, they won't get an advantage from the sequential as much as the heavier, good chassis speed cars. So I'm thinking of the the big three that were at the Nationals last year. The Mm. two Monaros and that Falcon will be a lot faster with the sequential. When you when you lift and shift, even if it if and if it's got the the flat shift module, a lot of the time with those big LMV eights on a increasing or decreasing radius corner when they're squeezing the throttle on, they want to have a shift. But they can't because it's going to upset the top. Yeah, yeah. So the late model cars are going to get a massive advantage. The ones that are already fastest now, the late model V8s, are going to be able to put the power down off a corner far better than they can now because they're going to be able to shift with the engine management letting them not have to change their throttle position and it just takes care of how much load it needs to drop to shift and they could potentially half-throttle, maximum torque on that tyre because we do have a narrow tyre for those big big cars and they will get off the corner far better and even be even harder to get near. They're just going to be too fast. Maybe. <laughs> I, think you, I think you're probably right. Now, but I do think it's, it's just a question of time before sequentials are forced into the category, I think, um, just by, you know, the... The, the availability of the box and, and, you know, when it, when a sequential becomes, uh, noticeably cheaper than an H pattern dog box, uh, I think there'll be some more justification at least to the push. Um, but I, I mean, I take your point. I take your point.